Yes, Ronnie, you are. Simultaneous with this realization comes another, even less welcome. I am standing. My eyes are moving and my limbs are light. Something is wrong. I listen. There. That silence was not a silence. It was the gap between two very faint sounds. Another. Ta. Pa. Pause. Ta. Pa. Pause. The noise of footsteps. Very quiet. I move to the breakfast tray and cover my fingers in bacon fat, then transfer it to the hinges of the door. Wait, don't hurry. Listen. Now, the person is not in the hall. He or she is upstairs. More, the next step is now, which is the perfect time to open the door. It glides on bacon fat and more ordinary greases. Old man Lubitsch's home maintenance at work. I slip out into the hall. In the kitchen, there are harmless domestic items which might be pressed into service as weapons. I should have asked old man Lubitsch about his home defence. Perhaps it is a big stick. I would like a big stick right about now. The kitchen is on the north side of the house. It is still dark. The hallway is light. Move quickly. Kitchen door, open it, step through. A bee buzzes past me, a glinting metallic bee with sharp wings. Like every other bee in history, it imagines it can pass magically through glass. Unlike every other bee, this one is right. The window breaks. This is not one of Old Man Lubitsch's bees. It is another sort. The window shatters. I keep moving, or rather, my body keeps moving. It ducks smoothly and unfast, weaves around and about, and my hand slaps wood as I vault over Marlubitch's kitchen table. Stout construction, it barely notices my passing. More bees float past, angry about something. One of them is a bad navigator, buries its head in the larder door. It is a most curious bee with five sharp points. A shuriken bee, very rare, very specific. Five spikes around a central hub. You flip it like a frisbee or a playing card. Kill with it. Tool of butchery, indeed. My body is still moving. I twitch the shuriken bee out of the larder door. Send it back the way it came. Slip away as more bees fly into the shadows of the kitchen. Real bees would never do this. They like light and sun. Old man Lubitsch's bees converged on bulbs and glowing rods. These bees are evil bees, bees of darkness. Fear the evil bee. I do, but I cannot hide from it forever. I cannot leave Gonzo's parents to face the evil apiarist alone. For a moment, there is a single figure silhouetted in the corridor. Bad ninja, you are revealed. Your teacher will hit you with a bamboo stick for this behavior. If I don't get you first, I bowl a copper pot at him and whip away again, using available cover. In this case, the available cover is the kitchen wall. 
Thus, he knows I must come through that doorway. He will assume I must come from right or left. I wait. The softest of steps. One, two, deliberately loud enough to hear. I am invited to gamble. Come from the left, and maybe he will guess wrong. Maybe he will not be fast enough to adapt. Ho ho ho! He has a weapon of some sort, sharp. He will be holding it horizontally. Both my options are bad options. Don't gamble. The house always wins. This is my house. I step back, bounce off the lip of the kitchen counter, and catch the doorframe. I slither through the doorway at head height, feet first, my hands hinging me, and the lintel of brief caress on my hair as I pass. The apiarist is all in black, and he has got pollen on him from climbing old man Lubitsch's trellises to reach the upstairs window. He carries a formidable thingamy with beak-like blades at each end. My feet slide over the top of it, take him in the chest, and he staggers. I land badly, try to roll back into the kitchen. The ninja springs back to his feet, whirring. If only I had some Tupperware. Must be some in the kitchen. Too far. Damn. He doesn't kill me because he misjudges how winded I am from falling on, as it appears, old man Lubitsch's leather umbrella stand. Instead, the blunt bit of the thingamy hits me in the shoulder. White light, pain, idiot! You're fighting like Gonzo. I'm not sure whose voice it is. It's right. The ninja flourishes his beak-like thingamy, slashes at me. I roll away. My arm is useless. It's not broken. It's just switched off. Left hand only. Then, slow, relax, think. He is strong, but I am skilled. The only enemy is timing. The only danger is fear. Master Wu's garden. Endless hours of practice. Elizabeth Soames' mute approval as she helps me out of the fish pond. The thingamy blurs. I step. None of my limbs comes off. The thingamy wheels away to one side with a clatter. I hit the ninja in the nose with my elbow. He hits me back. We tumble out into the garden. Real fights are undignified. Only true masters make them look effortless. I am not one. He pokes me in the eye. Master Wu would be disappointed. This is not how it's done. I can't find the quiet place in my head from which to fight. But hey, it's my first time. The ninja hits me again, gets to his feet, and snaps into a sort of ready posture while he tries to decide which way to kill me. And then there comes a quite remarkable noise. It goes whack, luch, slutch, clatterbling, bang, and the ninja stops absolutely still. He makes a sort of sad little sound of his own, a childlike reproach, and then he falls forward on his face. Ike Thermite is standing behind him with a plank. It looks like a fence post. Was that right? Ike says. He was attacking you, so I hit him. He waves the plank. It appears to have a couple of nails sticking out. Spare fence posts are piled against the side of the house, ready for deployment. This is probably not what Old Man Lubitsch had in mind for them. 
Is he going to be okay? Ikthermite says. Because I only really wanted to knock him out. The ninja has two largish holes in the back of his head. There is white stuff coming out. He shakes. I saw all the planks, says Ikthermite cheerily. Gosh, there are a lot of planks, but I couldn't decide which one. And then I thought, what the hell are you talking about? It really doesn't matter which one. Only I think perhaps it does. Yes, because this one has nails in it. The ninja stops moving. The smell of blood is rather acute. Oh dear, Ikthermite says. There is brain matter on his shoe. That's quite unpleasant. He drops the plank and passes out. I have been saved from death by a specialist in physical theatre. This is bad. Sadly, it is not the worst thing about this moment. The worst thing is that the dead man has five friends, or at least colleagues, standing in the azaleas. Marlubich throws a bucket of perfumed furniture polish out of the living room window. It mostly lands on Ike Thermite. A healthy dose of it splashes on me. If this was an attempt to wake Ike and unleash his dreaded mime powers, it does not work. Ike stays down. I have nectar goo on my trousers. If it comes to a fight, and it will, I'm going to be all sticky. I hear a voice, surprisingly calm and very dignified. May I have your attention, please? Says old man Lubitsch. You are on private land. You are not welcome. You were not invited. You have offered violence to my house. I would like you all to leave. The five remaining ninjas look at him. I turn to look too. Old man Lubitsch is standing next to his beehives. He is standing, in fact, next to the large black hive he was building the last time I came to Cricklewood Cove. It is tall and oddly shaped, ugly where the others are uniform little whiteboard houses. Clearly, he feels it represents some sort of threat. The ninjas don't. They step forward. Old man Lubitsch shrugs. He reaches up and pulls the lid off the hive, and then, demonstrating that sanity has absolutely passed him by today, he gives it a solid kick. The noise which emerges from the big hive is a deep Harley Davidson growl of warning. Quite apparently, the occupant is a mutant bee. Gonzo's father has raised a single furious man-sized bee with teeth like razors. It is a guard bee. Even the ninjas pause. The nearest one is about eight feet from me and from Ike Thermite. He looks as if he doesn't like the idea of fighting a giant bee very much. Old man Lubitsch kicks the hive again. It explodes. It doesn't actually explode, of course, but the phenomenon is remarkably similar. There is a noise as of war in heaven. A black shadow crosses the face of the sky like the end of days, racing out from the hive in a circle which expands until it covers all of us. We are struck by a thousand tiny impacts, like a shower of gravel. Bees landing, swooping, tasting. I do not watch the rest of it. The bees from the black hive, Africanized Megakili Pluto, most likely, 
recognize us by the smell of nectar goo as fellow, if we're looking and useless, members of the hive. The ninjas are therefore aggressors of some sort who must be dealt with. The last thing they see before the vengeance of the bees is old man Lubitsch, shrouded in inch-long black insects, stepping toward them with a garden rake. You would have hurt my wife, old man Lubitsch says through the sound of the hive. But when I turn away, because death by bee is a ghastly thing, and death by rake not much better, it is not his wife I see, but mine. Leah's hiding place is upstairs, between the guest room and the airing cupboard. A false wall makes room for a corridor, and the corridor leads to a small place under the eaves like an artist's garret. Old man Lubitsch built it during the reification. He and Ma Lubitsch hid there when Cricklewood Cove was overrun by bandits, and they hid a young man there when the bandits were defeated and a hanging mood took the town. Currently, Leah shares it with a family of cats who moved in unofficially. She explains that the cats were here first. They are nice cats. Leah likes them. She misses her dog, but the dog went with Gonzo. She stayed behind. Gonzo insisted. It was too dangerous. So here she is, sharing space with Largia Conba, the mother cat, and Sunflower, Water Lily, Adoration, which is short for Adoration of the Magi, and Flea. She named the kittens after paintings, but realized that she didn't know the proper names of very many. She declined to name Flea after an approximation of the title of a painting. Flea is called Flea because she can jump right up in the air. She was so bored up here, Leah, not Flea, but Gonzo insisted she must be safe. From whom she does not know. He wouldn't tell her anything. The cats walk on her face in the mornings to wake her up. She must look terrible. Leah, I say, but she has more to tell me, more she needs to say, things of great importance. She pauses, then begins. The room gets very cold at night, so she's quite glad to have them around then, and of course they need her to protect them from owls. Owls are a great hazard to kittens, Owls eat more kittens in a year than dogs do in ten. Dogs chase cats. They don't eat them. Owls eat anything. Fortunately, the owls are scared of old man Lubitsch's mutant bees, so the kittens are safe in the garden. Leah washes them in nectar shampoo, which makes them furious and very cute, and the bees sort of hover over them and scowl. Not that they can scowl, but they do. Leah was listening through the floor last night, all night. She has bags under her eyes this morning. Even kitten maquillage does not leave her this harrowed normally. She heard and understood, and she had no idea what Gonzo had done. He just told her that I was new and made out of him, and not to say anything to anyone, and I was leaving. She has no idea what to say to me. Since I don't know what to say either, we sit there and look at one another in silence for a while. Leah looks depleted. She draws strength from the mountains, but primarily from love. She takes delight in love. 
This passage has injured her in the place from which she draws her strength. My instinct is to hold her.